as we uh, take a look at Paul's concluding remarks to this church that was so very dear to him. Philippians 4, verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share. That word share is koinonia again. Not just koinonia, but soon koinonia. The, the ultimate of communal terms. It was good of you to go in deep in community with me in my troubles. That word troubles is also the word that's often used for persecution as well. Not only was Paul a persecuted man, obviously evidenced by his chains in writing this as he's in prison, but they were a persecuted church likewise. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, and we've referenced that more than a few times from Acts chapter 16, and the wonder and the beauty of how it was that the gospel came to them, your early days with your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. And this idea of giving and receiving goes back to the idea of the, the Roman colonies, and Rome itself, the way that they enriched friendship and patronage was through gifts of grace, of grace, of grace. Uh, many have, as I mentioned from the very beginning of this letter, have been confounded because they couldn't tell whether this was the letter of a patron to the, the people that he supported or whether it was from being supported to a patron or one just of friendship because the relationships are so intertwined and deep and wonderful uh, in this book. But the idea that you would have been given a gift or grace, and they use the word grace in, in the Roman colonies, if you had been given grace, you automatically would have had karisto, uh, eucharisto, or thanksgiving. Uh, the word for grace is karis. So you would have had not only karis, a gift, but eucharist, uh, which is the idea of thanksgiving in your heart. It's a very weird sound. We're done with it, I guess. Uh, but, then, but then within you, you would have then had a, a burning desire to find some sort of an outlet or avenue to show again that grace by, by extending it either in a direction that would have pleased the one who gave it to you or back to that person who, who had uh, given you that grace. So moving on, but you see this, th th this matter here as Paul concludes the letter. Uh, that Basically Paul's saying, you Philippians, you with me, we had a real special thing. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Not that Paul had an account and he was kind of making little ledger marks of like, all right, who gave to me and who am I going to be nicer to? You'll see what he means here. Their account is their account in the heavenly realm. I have received, verse 18, full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. He's using the word of overflowing supply. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus, remember that's their brother who almost killed himself to be able to bring this gift to Paul. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, 
be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to stop there before I read this last section about Caesar's household. And, and I want to make a reference to what Paul says here, that these gifts are a fragrant offering. They are acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and that even though they have given to Paul, Paul says who you're really giving to is the great initiator of all this dance of grace. The initial grace giver that we all end up being able to express our gratitude to in any gifts that we give for the will and the work of God is we're ultimately giving back to God. But there's something interesting too that he says, and this is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. That, that is, of course, an Old Testament reference. But I think there's a, another Old Testament reference that is a, an interesting one about God and, and sacrifices. I'm going to read to you from Psalm 50, um, starting verse 8. Concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle of a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. So God keeps a careful accounting if he has a catch on all of that. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. The world is mine and everything that's in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. Call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. You see that dance of grace at the end of this. And it, it, it's such a, a reference. Like, So here's what I want. God says, thank offerings to God. You know, fulfill your vows. Call on me in a day of trouble and I've got you. Just as, just as Paul said uh, just, just moments ago as he was going through this letter. You know, as, as we give to God, it's not as though God is some needy geriatric uh, who, who needs to be propped up with our encouragement or uh, any of our sacrifices. God forbid that, that we would even have a, a concept. But we don't I actually do ha have that. Paul is wanting to make sure that there's nothing like that that's even in view here. Yes, yes, you're giving to me and I appreciate it, Paul says. But you know what? I'm good. I've, I've learned to do without, to do with. I'm good with all of that. The, the reason that I'm glad that you're giving is because your giving ends up going to God. And, and by the way, it's a thank offering. God doesn't need this, but it's your opportunity to go deeper in the intimate dance of grace. That's what God wants here. And by the way, you know, as you call on, on God, as this dance of grace more intimately continues, he's got you and he will supply all of your needs. And, and there's a very real idea here that when we do invest in things above, that we are not, you know, as Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, storing up treasures for ourselves here on earth, but really storing up treasures for ourselves up in heaven. And so we may, even as we sacrifice of what it is that God has allowed us to have in terms of material possessions, and we may, in showing our gratitude for God, give it to godly causes. And it, and it, may, it may, in fact, go towards lighting the lights in this room, but it doesn't really go towards lighting the lights in this room. It ultimately goes towards what Paul says here. It, it does go towards God as a, a wonderful sacrifice, a sweet-smelling sacrifice before him. Again, not that he needs it either, but just so that it, it recognizes to him that they get it. They get it. They know the joy of being able to reciprocate one with another 
and being overwhelmed by gifts and grace and gratitude and to even know the joy of giving as well as the joy of receiving and to know that in the depth of this intimacy, you know that when the time comes, I've got your back, says God. And that's the beauty of having a life that is a life of abundance in terms of a mentality of abundance to be able to always give and continue to see that enriching relationship with God deepen all the more. And that's Paul's great joy to them. Not that he gave me a whole bunch of money, but that that money is to your account in the heavenly realms. And not just that, but it also deepens your gratitude. How wonderful is that? And then finally he says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send you greetings. All God's people here send you greetings. And then this is the phrase that has so often been discussed. Especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Right? Very interesting, of course. That it is only a couple decades since this backwater carpenter with no possessions, no titles... No writings has died. And now suddenly, this Jesus is being proclaimed as the new king. Not only here in Philippi, a fervently Roman colony, but that message has made it into the inner circles of influence in the imperial realm of Caesar himself. Like, how astounding is that? Now, when this means Caesar's household... It could mean, because most agree that Paul is most likely, most likely in Rome, in prison, although we don't know for sure. But if he's in Rome in prison, then the idea of Caesar's household would actually mean that rather literally. But the term Caesar's household also meant those who are his main administrators all throughout the empire itself. So it could have a far-reaching idea of those who are the most influential, let's call them um, ministers, or, you know, like we have a... Uh, a foreign minister or secretaries of state, it would be kind of the, those cabinet level type positions that might be in view as well, that are the most privileged of all influencers in the imperial realm, in the empire of Rome, and those that have Caesar's ear one way or another. Here's what's amazing, is that even from prison, Paul has been able to affect this. And that the gospel is unchained. Even though he may be chained, the gospel is unchained. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And I think for us to even to recognize whether in plenty or in want, no matter what the circumstances, always rejoice, always have this confidence about us, always have a regal contentment. Let that be evident to all. But, but also to recognize no matter what it is that we may feel chains us. That through us, as likely, unlikely as it can be, that even through us, the gospel is going to find its way into places that will make people's jaw drop. But Paul believed that it would. Paul, even when he headed to Rome under all of the orders of imprisonment, even he said, you know why I'm going? Not because I need to be jailed. Not because I got to present my case for why they wrongfully jailed me uh, back there. The reason that I'm going is because the gospel needs to make it there. I think we got to keep that in mind. To have the same mindset as Paul. To imitate him as he asks us to repeatedly throughout the letter. Why is it that you go to the job where you work? Why is it that you've ended up in the neighborhood where you are? Why is it that your friends have been able to connect with some of the kids that they've connected with? Why is it that you shop at the grocery store where you shop? I think we've always got to have a, a more transcendent perspective 
of what our lives are about. As I, I, I heard um, Jeff preaching about this, and we preached about it here, that our purposes are so much bigger than we even realize. But if we always keep that in mind, not only will it safeguard our hearts, not only will it uh, keep us in peace, but it will keep us keenly aware of what it is that God wants to constantly be doing through our seemingly small lives. And to make a crazy difference. And, and even as Paul, a, a Jew in chains, who is viewed with derision by the imperial guard and by Caesar's household, if even through him, as he comes into the hollowed, intimidating halls of the empire of Rome, and is able to say, oh, by the way, you know why I'm here? I'm here to tell you there's a new king. There is a new king, and his name is Jesus. He's the son of God, and now everything changes. You better get used to it. All of the trappings of power that you perceive to be yours are merely a, 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 a shadow, a, a passing of a day, because Jesus is here, and now the kingdom is established. Wow, he brought that. That's your message as well. And as much as you feel like you're the unlikely person in your middle school, your high school, whether it be in the, in the web center, whether it be at your workplace, maybe you're, you're the low woman or man on the totem pole. Uh, maybe you've got the worst front lawn in your entire subdivision. But you know what? None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that you know that you are there in that subdivision or school or workplace or wherever it may be. To let them know that there's a new sovereign coming to take claim for their life. And he's kind and he's amazing and he's your Lord. And he's not only your Lord, he's your lamb. And he's making provision for you. And better now for you to be able to proclaim with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Before you have to do it forcibly when every knee will bow. Because that day is coming. But let me give you the heads up now so that you can be part of the joy and excitement of when it does come that you're shouting hallelujah with the rest of us. And with that, Paul closes the letter. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.